0: Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine.
1: And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Uh, We're back. (laughs) I never know who's going to say it. Welcome back, or anything like that first.
0: Yeah, so today...
1: Number 86.
0: Number 86. You can
1: never remember that part. No. No.
0: And so what we're doing, uh, we're trying to occasionally do some different podcasts that might be useful for people studying for their addiction boards, and this is one of those things that's on the addiction board.
1: Yeah, it's... They tell you multiple times within your board review class that you go to, which is what we did because we didn't do a fellowship, of course. That you can't just know opioids and pass. And we were kind of hoping that was the case, but just kidding. It wasn't. It wasn't. So, gambling disorder is—I'm sure you say it in here—is the only
0: currently, behavioral yep.
1: currently the only behavioral official DSM five addiction, addiction recognized. Yes.
0: And it is. It's uh, it's interesting thing uh, as well. I think that uh, you know many of us may know people who have families where they've had somebody with pretty significant gambling issues where they've lost uh, much of their income and houses and cars. And I certainly do. And uh, so this is a, a this real is, thing.
1: I think this is harder in a way to notice early on, like when you can actually make... Well, a, a good intervention before it's like, I've already lost my house and my car and everything.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, and I can't remember if this is really in any of this part of the the conversation, but about, only about 10% or less of people with issues with gambling actually seek help. Right. and And I think it's kind of one of those family secrets often, so...
1: But do yeah. the families even understand it or know about it?
0: Uh, well, it's often minimized, right? So
1: it was just on an episode of FBI. Oh,
0: so because now no. we're going to TV.
1: And it's it was interesting because the 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 husband had a horrible gambling issue, but of course the wife had no role in any of their finances, and she had no clue. Yeah. Anyway, so we so, can start.
0: So it's kind of describing it. Uh, one of the things uh, really is that you have to have kind of this persistent. And reoccurrent kind of maladaptive pattern of gambling, right? So you're, it, and that has to be kind of associated with a lot of different things: impaired functioning, much like we see with other addictions, uh, reduced quality of life, uh, bankruptcy, divorce, and you're, occasionally you're
1: being very dramatic. I know
0: it is dramatic. And you, you brought up TV, so now I'm like, this is a TV show, but no, and and incarceration.
1: It, so it's it's basically the the difference between dependence, like when you're talking about a substance and addiction and use disorders is that it now has to negatively impact your life.
0: Yeah. And in fact, in a moment when we run through the criteria, tolerance is one of those things. So um, I think it's really interesting that that this is something that's been reported across all cultures and uh, really over hundreds and hundreds of years, hmm. uh, there's been known that people have this issue.
1: Yeah. 200 years in the medical literature even. Yeah. Which is crazy because it was one of the most... Recent past added things to dsm five criteria or dsm five as a an addiction and well we, and i don't we never I never learned about this in medical school, and that was you know only a handful of years ago
0: yeah but uh, it has criteria much like all of these different things and and it's interesting to me how similar they are to you know most of the substance use disorders uh, really kind of that first one the preoccupation with uh, with gambling and Again, with substance use disorders, it's preoccupation with a particular substance, right?
1: So, need to gamble with increasing amounts. So, you start going to the hundred dollar tables instead of the five dollar tables if you're going out into the public casinos. So, yeah. this is like equivalent to the whole tolerance yeah. thing, needing more and more to achieve the same, the same euphoria, yep, mm-hmm. the
0: same euphoria. And and interestingly, and I, I think just like anything else, uh, most of the people who gamble with time kind of have tried to stop. They tried to cut back. It doesn't work. Um, and often, as the fourth one, really, that they feel irritable and restless when they can't do it. So there's that, it's almost that withdrawal, kind of they don't have access to it.
1: And to escape from a mood or a problem, which I happened to have a, an Uber Lyft driver the other day that alluded to this exact thing he had like every family member happened to die within a very short period of time and he just didn't know how to handle like this problem or to how to handle his emotional problems so this became that thing and also it was a boredom thing you know because it's an activity
0: so he was a gambler
1: he uh, he had a gambling addiction and he disclosed this to me for whatever reason people on like to lift. tell me things on the list <laughs> really early in the morning. But yeah, he said, well, one, I mean, it does, it's an activity, you know, you can spend hours and hours at a casino and you're like entertaining. It's kind of like going to a movie with 20 bucks, but you got to know how to stop. Hmm. And he obviously was struggling with that part.
0: Yeah. Six criteria, chasing the losses. Uh, We see a lot of that where people down on their luck and they, they try and get a little bit more money to just Oh, if back. I just
1: add 20 more, yeah, I'll yeah, get it back. Yeah. So lies to your family and friends about the losses or to the extent of gambling. So this is the whole in denial slash lying, like the TV show.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah, thank God we got FBI shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the eighth uh, criteria, actually putting job and education in jeopardy. And I think that's, uh, again, much like the other substance use disorders where uh, there's job issues, there's uh, issues with uh, doing the normal activities that you normally would do uh, you don't. You don't get there. Right.
1: And I wonder if this last one really kind of ties into some of the other things like incarceration, is that you need other people to help pay your debt, and so do you start getting into some illegal activities to help pay your debt?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So and
1: you can't blame this all in a manic episode.
0: Yeah, and that's the interesting thing, is that you have to be very careful with somebody who Is concerned that they may have a gambling disorder because if they're bipolar, uh, and I I have had patients who, when they're bipolar, they do things like this. They may not gamble, but they buy or they do things untreated. Yeah, one guy always bought a cabin, uh, all kinds of things when he was manic that he couldn't pay for.
1: Mm. Okay, so So behavioral addiction still is very controversial, which is why this still remains currently the only one. Um, But there is obviously just going through that criteria is so many links to substance use disorders. Yeah. And it's interesting
0: if you look back uh, at what they did with gambling back in DSM four, it was still considered an impulse control disorder, not specified. So it it made that shift during DSM five to a substance related and addictive disorder. So I think that's really important thing to remember is this previously had been an impulse control. So
1: there you go. And uh, it it just a total aside, the DSM five criteria also took out use and abuse. Use it, and abuse it's just, yep. <laughs> substance use disorder. It, it doesn't differentiate the mild and the moderate in terms of other words. Yeah. Anyway.
0: So how many people are gambling? Well, there have been a few studies. Uh and a lot of them have been telephone uh prevalence studies. There was actually one done at the University of Chicago. In 1996 I I was in practice then.
1: I couldn't even Were drive. Were you born? Yeah. Oh, you couldn't drive. I could, I could I was born. I just, you know, didn't I was, you know, her no And
0: and what they found is that roughly in their study, uh, about 0.8% of people had a gambling disorder, uh, and 1.3% had more of a a gambling a problem gambling. I have that wrong. Yeah, I was sheet. like, hmm, okay, yeah. how are you going to explain just, this one? I'll just make stuff up. Yeah, no, sure. it, was a, it was problem gambling. Ooh, so, I,
1: yeah, Sorry, I was going to go to the next one. Yeah, so there's a meta-analysis of 120 studies um, between 1970s and the 1990s.
0: Those are the years. God, those are good years.
1: <laughs> and if you do this a meta-analysis of 120 studies, which is pretty significant, although way dated, 1.6% had gambling disorder, 3.9% had problem gambling. Yeah. So a little bit higher numbers in this meta-analysis than in the one study out of Chicago.
0: Yeah, and the problem gambling is kind of a, a comparison to, uh, you know, when we look at alcohol, you have, alcohol, risk, use, yeah. you have alcohol use disorder and you have, um, what's High just- High risk of yeah, alcohol yeah, use. Yeah, you know, just more concerning alcohol use where they're on the borderline of per- that is not
1: week. an official terminology, by the way, anybody. No. So <laughs> if
0: you look at uh, look at some different groups, too, like if you look at patients who are actually in a, a treatment center for substance use disorder, it's an enormous amount of these patients who actually have a lifetime history of gambling.
1: Is that like an official diagnosis, or is that like a I'm in treatment for my substance use disorder and they ask me about my problem gambling or gambling in the past, yep. and then I start to put it all together, and now I realize, oh, yeah, I had problem gambling.
0: Yeah, they're they're often linked and... And actually somewhere between that 5% and 30, 33% of people admitted that they'd had serious gambling issues in the past.
1: Right. So my comment about these being dated studies was, you know, this was dated studies when a lot of the gambling mm-hmm. had to be casinos, pull tabs. In person. In person, you know, buying the scratchies versus aren't now. They called, aren't
0: they rippies or scrappy, scratchies? Scratchies
1: like at the gas station. Oh, rippies are like the pull tabs. Ah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Anyway,
0: I don't get around much.
1: But now there's obviously a lot of online gambling. So who the heck knows about yeah. this prevalence? And it's a lot easier to hide it. And who knows what COVID did to it?
0: Yeah, there's. I think the jury's out. And I think we're going to kind of have to wait for some of the studies as all the on, online gambling has just taken off. So one of the things, too, is, well, how do we assess people for gambling uh, disorder? And I think in the primary care clinic or even in an addiction clinic, if somebody walks in with this kind of issue. There are some screens. Uh and probably the most well known one is is called the SOGS S O G S, which is uh the Self Oaks gambling screening. Self Oaks? Yeah. And Does it's actually Oaks based mean? on the DSM three criteria. So it's a little bit older, um, but still probably pretty applicable. Hmm. So I Google think that, that. Yeah, I think there's you know, and there's a couple other different types of screens, but there's I don't think that there's any that have been, you know, significantly widely used uh, so i think that's something that uh, there's still got a lot of work to do so
1: so overall characteristics things you might see trends with people with gabbling issues typically starts in adolescents young adults more in males you have the typical cycle of abstinence and relapse just like you would for any other substance use disorder um, and similar to alcohol use disorder versus other substances, um, a third of people with gambling use disorder will recover on their own.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because if you look at if you look at uh, a lot of patients will give history that they've done it, but they quit on their own somehow. And I think uh, again because this is a group also that rarely gets treatment, unlike some of the other things like alcohol. It's amazing how many take care of it themselves hmm. uh, and get and and maybe go to AA or excuse me. GA, Gambling Anonymous. Uh, but men are more likely to be also single and living alone uh, when they have gambling issues. And uh, interestingly, also more likely to have been in uh, treatment previously for an SUD. I, I think that's you know pretty much implied from some of the stuff we've talked about.
1: Right. Higher rates of antisocial social traits, more marital consequences, thus why they're not living alone and single, and they... They do prefer the strategic gambling, the the sports gambling, poker, blackjack, things where you at least have some at least implied control. Yeah, you got to
0: think about some stuff and make a you think kind of, a, you, let's say, educated you, you, guess. You
1: think you are, and this is my theory because I prefer blackjack to any other gambling, is you think you have some type of control over it. Yeah. You know, like...
0: Yeah, You you've figured it out. It's
1: not just, I pulled this slot and yeah. these are random. And
0: that's actually what women favor. Women tend to favor bingo and slots in general. These are not hard and fast rules. But, you know, interestingly, women are only about 32% roughly of the gambling disorder. So men are uh, on the hook for more of it. But I think the most amazing part of this is when we talk about telescoping. Mm-hmm. And... And think about some of the conversations we've had previously about women with uh, opioid use disorder or methamphetamine use disorder. And alcohol. And alcohol. How they tend to often get much worse, much more quickly.
1: But they start later.
0: Yep. Start later.
1: Start later. That's that's actually a board pearl. Yes. Telescoping pearl. women start their use later, but then get bad faster. Yep. Anyway, but they are more likely to get treatment.
0: Yeah. Which, you know. Because women talk,
1: women are more likely to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> yeah. Therefore, ask for help.
0: That's probably true. All right. So, um,
1: functional impairment, quality of life, legal issues—lots
0: of them. So, you know, that's the diagnosis. Yeah, you know, <laughs> when, I, when you look at work, <laughs> it's I like mean, implied. I think with any addiction, uh, we're always talking about absenteeism and poor job for performance and and job loss. I mean, people lose their jobs because of this kind of stuff. So, and why, you know. I think it's that shame and that guilt and
1: marital issues. Yeah. Financial issues in 50% as you I mean. Yeah. on you'd assume.
0: And we see this a lot in the papers where somebody is embezzling money and and they have you know financial issues and so they um, they kind of end up with a problem lose their job. So and a lot of thought thaw- pawning. And we see this in substance use disorders. I mean, right. in our patients a lot of them have Again, the they're not we getting
1: busted for gambling. They're getting busted for doing the things to help them pay. Yeah, often. Things. Uh, Higher health comorbidities, cardiac issues, obesity, liver disease. Yeah, Is that I, just because of the overlap with substance use disorders?
0: You know, it's just interesting that if you look at this uh, group as, you know, if you just look at this group in general, they just are an unhealthy group. And I think...
1: Well, if you're sitting at a blackjack table for hours and hours, and drinking and smoking potentially Correct. and not getting up and moving your body.
0: Correct. Those are the things. Uh, and so, you know, typically they're not active people, typically they're... Um, but
1: you could say video gaming, which is coming way. down the pipeline, maybe potentially as far as being on the DSM-5 or maybe the 6, yep. Higher cardiac issues, obesity, liver disease, because they're sitting around...
0: Yep, not doing enough. They have
1: very strong thumbs.
0: And of course, yeah, they got thumbs that are just, you know, look like Arnold Schwarzenegger's thumbs. But uh, but yeah, a lot of psychiatric issues as well, uh, comorbidity, much like we see with other SUDs, depression. Uh, Forty-eight percent, yeah, uh, forty-eight percent, with concerns about suicidality, and so they think about it a lot. Uh, And although there are a a lot of suicides because of financial losses, job losses, and those things, still forty-eight percent of people are having suicidal thoughts who have significant gambling disorders. Right. So, and then
1: the legal issues we've just talked about: embezzlement, stealing, bad checks, yada, yada yada,
0: the whole gamut.
1: So. To touch more on the psych comorbidities, the substance use disorder, we've talked about that a lot. And then the alcohol use disorder increased chance three to four times the relative risk of a person who doesn't have a gambling disorder. Yeah,
0: it's amazing. You know, and roughly 40 to 80% of these patients have a mood disorder. And, and you know, probably around a third of these people have anxiety disorders. So this is, you know, this is a group who really has multiple issues. Yeah, and needs.
1: This next statistic, though, is like laughable to me. Well, Any personality disorder range from twenty five to ninety three percent chance of having another personality disorder. Yeah,
0: let's just split it down the middle. Say roughly 55 fifty five sixty percent.
1: That seems like really bad math, but okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm just reading you the results here. What I dug up.
1: Anyway, family history.
0: Yeah, no, this is very interesting uh, because if you look at families of people with uh, with disorders of gambling, you know a lot of times uh, there's an enormous amount of psychiatric illness in their first degree relatives. And uh, these are mostly kind of the mood disorders, again, anxiety, substance use disorders, and
1: antisocial. So tons of that. Have we done my talk on the mental? We haven't done no a podcast on the mental health co-occurring.
0: No, because this long. would make
1: sense. We'll just break it up into <laughs> multiple pieces. It's so good, but it talked. I mean, it, this is exactly what you just said. I mean, it's the same overlap. It's like what came first. Fifty percent of people with gambling disorder patients have a parent with alcohol use disorder. Yeah. And twenty percent of relatives, first degree, have gambling disorder. Yeah. So it's it's the whole thing of an addiction is an addiction, use begets use, da da da. It's the same pathways in the brain.
0: Yeah. I mean it really is. I mean it again, and that's why this hit the DSM five. I mean, it's just so similar in all these different ways. But treatment is really the the issue here because treatment is really there's nothing great. Let me just say that right now. There's and when you look at kind of the psychotherapies, there aren't a lot of randomized controlled, you know, studies that, that we can look at and say, yeah, this is the best thing for gambling disorder. Uh a lot of people go to gambling anonymous, uh, but is there long-term data? No. Not really. Um
1: I don't know. That sounds scary.
0: Yeah. And there's a variety of other kind of treatments, you know, the cognitive strategies, behavior approaches. Contingency management, which is probably the most common thing we see, with, but, it's works with, with, uh, but, but it's also with with stimulants, but it's also
1: gambling in itself. Yeah. So cognitive behavioral, once again, yeah. strongest evidence. Um,
0: really, of any psych approach, really. right?
1: So improvement in these trials, but.
0: And I think that that's really, uh, you know, when you look at, you know, some of the people are talking about doing combined things, and whether the medications might be more helpful, and. Um but I think that c b t is probably the one that's kind of shown that it's probably a little bit better um there is some some stuff on brief motivational interviewing uh that in fact it has had some improvements, not a lot of huge studies with that uh but it does seem to see seem to be even short groupings of of uh motivational interviewing seem to help this patient crowd
1: well I mean. <laughs> That makes sense because that's just trying to find the patient, help the patient motivate themselves to find out what's going on and how they're going to move forward. I don't know.
0: I mean, I suppose this is a talk Murray McAllister could give. I don't know about you know, motivational interviewing. And I feel CB2. like motivational
1: interviewing isn't a treatment. It's a, it's a um, technique to be used in all forms of treatment. Yeah. So I feel like if you're any type of therapist or do any type of treatment, you better as heck be 100% spot on with your motivational interviewing or you should not do your job.
0: Yeah. I mean, it just anyway. helps people make a better, maybe okay. make a better decision. But.
1: Pharmacotherapy. Ugh. Alcohol. <laughs> That's the answer. Just kidding.
0: No. So, you know, the FDA doesn't have anything approved for this. Uh, and, you know, some of the stuff that I looked at is probably two or three years old, but I don't think there is still. Mm. Um, but it's amazing to me that when we look at some of the things we're using for opioids alcohol and other stuff naltrexones one of the things that they talk about
1: but again it blocks the whole dopamine yeah. thing so decrease your urgent urge to use or use or gamble decrease gambling thoughts decrease gambling behavior but it makes sense
0: yeah and you know can you have fun when you go to the carnival when you're on it i don't know You know, does it block that dopamine as well?
1: Maybe it blocks your feelings of wanting to go carnival, seriously? Uh, Yeah. You mean like the casino? You just wouldn't go to the casino just to get the crab legs.
0: Oh, there you go. (laughs) Um, I think it's really interesting, uh, you know, typically in alcohol, the doses that we use for naltrexone, pretty much you're looking at the same doses probably show benefit in gambling. So around
1: the 50 milligrams, Yeah,
0: 50 to 100 probably. You know, they've actually had many studies in other compulsions and, Kind of the hypersexual stuff, you know. That 100 to 200 is probably better, but it's funny because on all these studies, it's like the minute these people stop, things go back off the rails. So they do work, but you know, how long do you leave people on? Well,
1: how long do you leave someone on on?
0: Yeah. I'm not sure. If, I'm not really familiar with the other drug they're talking
1: about. Nalmaphine. Yeah. Showed statistically significant difference in gambling disorder. I don't know the dosing and all that. I've heard of it. It's just. Yeah, I don't. It's one of those things. I think it's kind of like COVID. <laughs> Let's try to throw everything at it as a treatment and figure out what works yeah. and which doesn't.
0: And I think that when, you know, some of the other stuff I read when I was studying for boards, a lot of it was about SSRIs. Mm-hmm. But boy, everything I read, mixed results. No great studies. Some show it helps. Some sure show it doesn't. And you know, most of the SSRIs are used in other kind of compulsive things and OCD and whatever. But uh treatment, uh, I don't know, still being investigated.
1: An N-acetylcysteine, NAC, yeah. some efficacy yeah. in early trials. Yeah. Stay tuned for that one. Yeah. My question, and this is would be any study. I just, I'm not a huge like, let me do a study. It's just I'd rather talk to people. But if you're going to do a study and find something like an SSRI to be useful, I think it's important, and this is patient-centered medicine in general, is what is the motivating factor? Does the patient, what like this Lyft driver, what was the thing that motivated him to start gambling? Well, he was sad and he was lonely, he was bored, and it was something to do, and then it got away from him. So addressing that, yeah, you still have to like deal with the, now that it's kind of gotten on a hand, but if you can address the basis of what led to that, if you can, I think there are some places. So in him, maybe an SSRI would be the perfect medication, and then we just skewed all the results. I don't yeah. know. I think researchers maybe need to, I mean, the researchers, maybe they don't necessarily have as much patient face time to, I don't know. Interesting. I could keep talking, yeah, but I won't. It,
0: but it's a very interesting topic, no doubt about it. I had a lot of fun reading about it and learning and pulling pulling different uh studies and stuff is very very cool perfect that's all i got
1: perfect that's good
0: all right well thanks everyone for listening to this and
1: uh any follow-up comments or thoughts email us at theaddictionconnectionpodcast.gmail.com us,
0: we're probably back next week
1: we're back next week we're going to talk about some of the screening tools as well as the labs tests you can do in patients with alcohol use disorder perfect there you go
0: than you've ever been, and now you're even older, and now you're even older, and now you're even older. You're older than you've ever been, and now you're even older, and now you're older still. Time! It marches on. And time. is still marching on. Soon be at an end, and now it's even sooner, and now it's even sooner, and now it's even sooner. This day will soon be at an end, and now it's even sooner, and now it's sooner still. Than you've ever been, and now you're even older, and now you're even older, and now you're even older. You're older than you've ever been, and now you're even older, and now you're older still.